Coming up, the Gridiron Show on Draft Today, including our exclusive interview with Tua Tunga Vailoa. But first, let me tell you, we've partnered with Betfred for the 2020 NFL Draft. They're offering markets on first player drafted, Bengals first pick, highest quarterback pick, and plenty, plenty more, like uh, number of linemen picked in the first round, number of wide receivers picked in the first round. Terms and conditions, of course, do apply. Head to Betfred, and don't forget, be gambleaware.org. Welcome to the Gridiron Show and happy draft day to you. The first round coming up tonight. And so going into it, myself, Matthew Sherry and Simon Clancy will preview the picks we expect to come in the first round, the surprises, the trades, the players uh, and how we expect each position to do. Plus our exclusive interview with Alabama quarterback and guy expected to go in the top five this year to a Tunga Vialoa. That's all coming up on the Gridiron Show. So hello, welcome to the Gridiron Show. Draft day is upon us. Still no idea exactly what tonight is going to look like from a, both a visual perspective and from a can we avoid any technical issue perspective. But we've avoided technical issues by the looks of it at the moment because you're listening to our draft day podcast. Will Gavin, we've got Matthew Sherry, editor of Gridiron, Simon Clancy. I'm believing a very nervous Simon Clancy, but... A Simon Clancy bedecked in a Tua Tunga Vailoa Alabama jersey, and I absolutely love it, Simon. Absolutely love it. Mate, I've got a Trevor Lawrence jersey upstairs, so if Miami don't take him, I'm putting that on tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even joking. Yes, <laughs> sure. uh, very and good. I'm drinking very it, good. I am drinking out of a Clemson cup that I got out of the uh, Clemson press office at uh, Death Valley, <laughs> so I'm sort of hedging my bets already. Superb. Absolutely superb. Uh, We're going to be hearing from Tua in a short while's time. It's an interview that Simon did with him towards the end of the season prior to his injury. Um, But we wanted to bring it to you because it's really interesting to look at his mentality, how he breaks the games down, getting a sense of who the man is. I mean, literally on the front of the new magazine, which I finally got yesterday, uh, the subheading is why Tungavailoa is worth the risk. So... We'll get into that as well. But before we do so, like it is draft day. Obviously, you, Simon, particularly invest so much of your time and energy into into your work around this. So what what does today look like for you? How do you kind of get through to 1 a.m. with a modicum of sanity? It's, it's weird, actually. What I try and do, is, like, it's, it's like Christmas Day today really is. It's my favourite sports day of the year, pretty much, which sounds weird because it's not really a sporting event, but... Um, you can tell I'm even talking faster than normal because I, I'm excited. I, I, we were just talking about this off air. I tend to watch <laughs> For those of you that are listening, we've got this on Skype so I can see the other two idiots' faces as I'm talking. So, uh, <laughs> but, uh, and they're laughing. I, I like to watch Draft Day, the Kevin Costa movie, because it, uh, you know, it's a tradition thing. So I've, I've done that. I also just try and switch off, actually like early evening UK time I, I don't really want to know what's happening like there's so much rumour counter rumour that sort of thing I just try and turn my phone off a little bit for three or four hours just because otherwise it just becomes so overwhelming um, but yeah that's really it and then just kind of just locked in you know from I don't know from midnight I can remember a few years ago I, was, uh, I came back from somewhere the year that Ricky Williams Edger and James went in the draft and someone was messaging me as the picks were coming in and I would got like I was on the in a taxi on the way back from the airport. It was like, 
expecting Ricky Williams to go before Edge and then somebody this person just messaged in capital letters like Edge and James the Colts before Ricky it was just like what so yeah I mean I think tonight will be I think there will be a lot of movement tonight and um, yeah really excited can you remember what we did last year side just before so the the, the, the recent draft tradition that I'm heartbroken we can't do this year is me and Si watching the draft together. We did it at my house two years ago. We did it at Si's last year. But can you remember what we did for that? So what we did, we, we got your old Mel Kuyper draft guides out and looked through them. <laughs> uh, that was when we were very much in the, in the football course, phase. Yeah. We, also, we also looked, uh, for people who don't know, Simon Clancy, when he was a kid, was pen pals with Florida State coach Bobby Bowden one of the greatest college coaches of all time. So we read a couple of those letters that were sent back and forth, which is an astonishing story in itself. And then we uh, we watched the documentary about the, the free climber, didn't we, Si? Just before oh, the yeah, draft. Like, yeah. For that, pe- for that period. Yeah, it was What's superb. So that was how we spent the period where, as Si says, you want to stay off social media, bit of downtime, you know, 10 o'clock to 1 o'clock or 11 to 1. So, yeah, that was what we did last year, wasn't it? I'm not sure. I'm, 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 we're burn, burning through season three of um, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, so I might just do a couple of episodes of that this season, just completely headspace something different. Because um, yeah, it's funny because I'm literally going to immerse myself in it today, whilst whilst at the same time getting some bits and pieces done around the house and hopefully having a nap. Um, Sky Sports Action has basically turned into Sky Sports Draft today. So all the way through the day, it's got programming from the US and then their coverage starts at 10 p.m. tonight. And then we go live on radio at midnight tonight for our programming with the draft obviously kicking off at one. So, uh, yeah, I I think I'm just going to absolutely immerse myself in it uh, as much as I, I don't know. I think that I'm not feeling as nervous because A, I expect the 49ers to do everything they can to trade out of the first round with one of those two picks to pick up some something in day two because they've got nothing at the moment. Um, but also it's like, you know, I, I had a little taste of success last season. I'm just going to let what happens happens now. It was nice, nice to happen for a year. Hopefully it continues, but I'm just kind of, I'm quite calm. I haven't been like that when we've been picking two, three over recent years at all. And I've probably had to distract myself as well. And we're going to get into the first round. We're going to get into some of the prospects. We're going to get into some of the pressure points. Um, Atlanta apparently trying to trade up, uh, looking to go all the way up to, to two to go and get Chase Young. So we're going, to, uh, we're going to talk about other teams that might make some big moves like that. But first, Simon, your interview with the man who, in 24 hours' time, we could be talking about as the Dolphins starting quarterback. Uh oh. <laughs> uh, just remind us when this interview was in, in reference to the season oh uh, so it was just the old Miss game last year so probably maybe the week before he got injured two weeks before he got injured um, so yeah and it was uh, it was a 15 minute phone conversation uh, very enjoyable he's a really interesting guy um, down at the uh, offices at the university there um, and obviously, it happened before the hip injury, so we don't talk about it. But what I think it does is that it really helps to show the process that he goes through, the mindset, because we talk a little bit about how he plans and prepares. And it will just give you a bit of an insight into what Tua does ahead of a game in terms of the way that he works. Very interestingly, some of the things he says about looking back at defensive coordinators to, to, even to previous schools that they've worked at to kind of look at tendencies and things like that. So it's very interesting, and he talks about 
you know, his relationship with his receivers uh, and how he sort of calmed himself down in 2019 from, from 2018 where he was a bit more sort of, uh, you know, tried to be Superman on every single play. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a very interesting uh, sort of 10, 15 minutes. Hey, Tua, how are you doing? Good, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you so much for sparing the time to talk to us. I'm, I'm sure you must be very busy. It's, it's, it's very kind of you. Uh, it's fine. How's things going with you? How are preparations for Old Miss this weekend? Uh, when does the game plan go in? What 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 stage of the week are you at at the moment? Uh, we're actually on third down um, in red area today. Okay. Uh, so yesterday we did we did more so what we were going to do um, coming out and you know kind of towards the middle of the field going into the high red area. Um, so yeah, we're 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 almost you know done and almost done. Then. Tomorrow, we'll, we'll, yeah, tomorrow we'll actually uh, be cleaning up everything and then we'll be preparing on Friday um, for Ole Miss. How much individual work, and I suppose what I mean by that is individual film work, do you do away from the, the very scheduled stuff that you do as a team? I mean, do you go home back to your apartment or to your dorm or wherever you stay and, or, or with, your, with your parents? Do you sit then, will you sit and watch Ole Miss film this evening or tomorrow evening? How do you... How do you work and how do you kind of compartmentalize your week? Well, all depending on who their defensive coordinator is. Um, you know, so the defensive coordinator is from Colorado. Yeah. So, you know, I'd watch some games when he was at Colorado, his tendencies on what he'd like to do, you know, on certain down and distances. Um, but, I mean, for a day like today, like I'd, I'd go back and watch third downs, you know, what, what they'd like to do on third downs, you know, third and long you know, how's the pressure going, you know, and then third and short. I mean, do they like to run man? Do they like to run zone? You know, what are the tendencies there? And so you just compartmentalize all of that and kind of write it down and then really study all of that. That's how I would go about doing it. But then at the same time, got to be able to react as well yeah. with in-game things because, you know, these guys, they, everyone likes to, throw something new at you, you know, and so just got to be ready for all of that. I'm sure. Do you like watching film? Are you, uh, is that something that you enjoy very much? Because obviously as you progress through your career, that's going to become a very important aspect of what you have to do when you take that next step up. Well, yeah, I, I mean, it, it is something you have to do, but I think in order to be successful too, you, you really got to watch film. Like, yeah. If you don't like watching film, I don't see how you can become successful like picking defenses out. I mean, I, I I just couldn't see see myself not watching film and being successful. You know, I'm sure. So I'm sure. How much more How much more comfortable do you feel in year two, four games in as a full time starter than you did say this time last year? Because you know, I, I've seen a I've seen every throw that you've made at Alabama, and but but in terms of how you feel personally, do you feel more comfortable in your own skin in terms of your seeing and and the defenses that you're able to read on a Saturday? Yeah, I I'd say I'd say um, I'd say I'm still trying to find my comfortability, you know, within the offense. Um, you know, the stats say that you know everything's going well, but. I still feel like there's there's another level that we can get into, like as far as playing fast, as far as playing, you know, with with good intentions, you know, when we go into the game and and executing at a high level. So, um, I, I don't I don't think that you know we're we're there yet, but I think we're getting there. 
for somebody that's thrown almost 70 career touchdowns to say that you're not particularly comfortable with where you're at is, is quite a statement of your, of where you'd like to be. Well, I think it's the expectation that's set here as well. You have yeah. so many guys surrounding you that, you know, you have so many guys surrounding you that, that want to do good and that expect good from you that, I mean, you expect good from yourself, Yeah, you know? So I got guys like Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, um, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle. you know, all these guys are expecting, you know, to, for me to get them the ball. And we're also expecting those guys to make plays when they have the ball. You know, and so just a lot of high expectations for everyone around our offense, as well as the linemen. So, um, it's it's just it's just that. Watching your games last season and watching them this season, it, it's clear that you've progressed in a in a number of areas, which I'm sure that you're aware of as well. But I suppose the biggest one that stands out for me is that you're kind of you're not not that you were forcing things last year, but you, you're just taking what the de- defense gives you, never going broke taking a profit, that kind of thing. Is that, yeah. is that, has that been difficult for you to rein in a little bit, given that you've got Jalen Waddle and Henry Ruggs and Jerry Judy, uh, and the fact that you've got Miller Forrestall and, uh, and Najee in the backfield and things, just to be able to take what the defense gives you rather than going for broke on every play. Is that, has that been something that's difficult for you to rein in? Because it, it, must, be a, it must be tough to, to be that kind of gunslinger that you were a bit more last year and maybe not quite as much this year. Yeah, it, it's definitely a lot different. Um, but yeah, I, I'd say that's that's where I've I've improved the biggest was was there. Um, you know, not really looking at the first read and praying that okay, I want you to get open now. Like get open, get open. You know, yeah, yeah. just moving through all my progressions. Looking at number two, he's not open. Okay, looking at number three, I'm staying disciplined in that aspect to even take the check down. You know, and so. I mean, it's it's hard for a defender to to tackle a guy out there in open space. So, you give you give the ball to one of our guys in open space, they'll make a man miss, and it, it could probably go for a touchdown. Yeah, your footwork, your pocket manipulation. I, you know, I'm I've been a a football fan, even though in the UK I've been a football fan. This is my 35th season. I've watched an awful lot of games, both in the states and, mm-hmm. and on on TV. And and your footwork at times is as good as as I've seen. Is that something that you work on specifically, just the way that you're able to manipulate the pocket with a little – like your, your first pass a couple of weeks ago, I think it was against um, – maybe it was against South Carolina the weekend, but you just sidestepped to the left and, and hit Jerry Judy sort of six or seven yards down the field. But it was just a, it was just the way that you manipulated that pocket and, and avoided the pass rush, almost a sort of sixth sense of – I don't think you could even see it. it was a backside mm-hmm. pressure and you just stepped to the side and made the throw. How much do you work on football? Yeah. Or is that a natural thing that just comes to you? Well, I think it's something that's worked on since, you know, you start playing the quarterback position. Um, I mean, footwork is probably the most important thing because that's, that's your base. And off of that, that's, that's where you get your power. That's where you get your accuracy. You know, it's, it's not too much arm, especially when you're throwing a pass. Yeah. Um, so I think once, once you kind of get used to it, then it becomes something that's very comfortable. But now I'd say I've been doing it for a long time. So at this point it's, it's comfortable. Mm. Coach Saban says you're a lot more confident this season. Do you feel that? Yes and no. Um, you know, I, I mean, I feel confident in the things that I can do and the things that I'm able to do, 
but I feel like there's, there's more things that, you know, I, I still can get better at. And there's more things that I, I can still, you know, help myself out with, you know, yeah. with leadership and, you know, other things like that as well. Um, people say, oh, you know, it's easier for Tua because he's, he's throwing to Ruggs and Smith and Judy and, uh, and what do you ever hear that stuff? And, uh, and what do you think about it? Does that ever affect you? Well, I don't think I don't think it it affects me. But if you really think about it, I mean, they're 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 not wrong, you know. I mean, you 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 throw into guys that are fast. You throw into guys that are very athletic, and you got to look at it like this way as well. Our guys are probably the shortest guys as far as uh, SEC receivers. So I don't got guys that are you know six 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 five that are you know skyrocketing out out the sky, you know, that are wowing people with, with that. But the aspect that you give the ball to them in space and they can turn that into a big play is, I mean, I, I, I couldn't even tell you that I, <laughs> I, I do a lot of the work because I, I really don't. They're, they're the guys that do all the work. They got a block too. And I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot of things that go into playing their position, but Fair. I mean, I, I would say they're right. They're right, you know. I mean, I, I I probably have the best receiving, if not the best receiving core, in college football. How difficult is it to shut out the noise? How difficult is it to be Tua Tagovailoa? Given because you must be aware of the the hype and the the noise around you. How 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 difficult is it for you just to be Tua and just be an ordinary guy? Uh, it's it's not that difficult. Um, I I found I found some ways, you know, to kind of distinguish you know things that i do on the football field and things that i i do off the football field you know like my biggest thing is if people like want want a picture just just ask yeah <laughs> you know it's not it's not like they're just pulling out their phones and like taking pictures you know while, right. like i'm eating with my family then that's when i'd, I'd kind of tell them you know now's not the time like yeah if you want a picture, you know, ask. And so, things like that. Okay. Because I got to get him to meet him maybe one more. Okay, no problem. Um, uh, the kind of the noise that I said and uh, and the stuff, are, are you aware of things like the sort of the tanking for Tua phenomenon that's happening around the NFL? Does that does that make its way to you? Does that seep through to you? And are you aware of uh, of the kind of the, the next step up in terms of teams are potentially not throwing games, but teams are struggling and your your voice your name is out there yeah i i mean i i've i've heard of it um especially from my teammates um you okay. know, a lot of my teammates love to joke about it <laughs> but um i mean it's something that that i i'm not as much worried about you know right now i mean we still got what about 10 10 more games or so to play and so it's it's a long season and so we can only focus on uh the things that we we got to do now you know and you know when that time comes then we'll end up worrying about that later but i i'm too focused about all of that right now of course of course listen i really appreciate your time and, and say thanks to josh thank you. Uh, so, uh wish appreciate you best of luck it. at the thank weekend you. and for the rest of the season and, and what comes after that all right thank you to a tongue of via lower you know 
the hip injury obviously coming after that interview and and has led to us going from pretty convinced he was going to be going number one overall, combining it with Joe Burrow's phenomenal season on top of that. But it's fair to say most non-contrarians are projecting him still to be a top five, top six pick with the, the Dolphins and Chargers sat there. Uh, Simon, I know you're feeling a very certain way about how that top five is going to go. Do, do you think anyone trades up into there? Anyone does try and make a move to to take one of those other two quarterbacks above those two needy teams? Uh, what do you mean, Herbert and, and Tua? Yeah, so Herbert and Tua, does anyone either move above Miami and, and Los Angeles or do those two try and move up in fear that others are going to do the same? I think what Miami have tried to do is try and throw so many smoke screens that nobody really knows what they're doing. You know, there's all this talk now that they're trying to move up to three to take a tackle, which makes no sense to me because why would you trade Laramie Tunsil uh, to then give up part of that trade weight that you've got from Tunsil, who was an all-pro you know all pro caliber player, to move up and take an unproven commodity at three? That makes no sense. Quarterback is the most important position. Obviously, they have Ryan Fitzpatrick. It's clear that Josh Rosen isn't the future, otherwise Josh Rosen would have been starting last year. So, you know, quarterback has to be their their position. The Chargers are such an interesting one. Matt and I were talking about this this morning. You know, we keep hearing that Anthony Lynn wants to, to, to roll with um, with Tyrell Taylor. I, I can't see that that's a, a proposition that carries much weight. What I do think is that Cam Newton sits out there. You know, they have... Brian Belaga on uh, as pretty much the only starting caliber tackle on that team. Belaga's missed 13 games in the last three seasons. He's a right tackle. They, they don't have a left tackle. Whoever's playing quarterback, you know, it's going to need to be protected. You've got a former league MVP sat out there who will have had a year and potentially more um, to rehab his his injury. To me, that makes an awful lot of sense if you're Tom Telesco to sign Cam Newton, draft a left tackle, and see how you go. Maybe, you know, maybe pick up Jalen Hurts in the second round, maybe Jake from somebody like that. Um, but I, I think both of those two teams, if nobody else moves in front of them, I think both of those two teams would be happy to stay at five and six. And really elsewhere, I can't see anybody else moving up. You know, who's got the, who's got the, the, the draft uh, capital to do so? You know, Jacksonville feels like they're going to roll A with Gardner Minshew for another year. And they're in such prime position for Trevor Lawrence next year. Um, Carolina have already, you know, signed, uh, Signed Teddy Bridgewater, PJ Walker will be his backup. Matt Moore obviously knows him really well. And beyond that, who else? The Raiders have got two first round picks, but it's already a packed quarterback move with David Carr and Marcus Mariota. And then really you're looking at the Patriots. Feels that twenty three up to up to three, four is too far to go. The Saints, the same, they would have to give up huge capital to do that. I just I, I just don't see it. I really don't. I mean, look it, it's a draft, but I just I just can't see it. The Jags are the ones who who have had a bit of buzz, but I do think it relies on them moving one, if not both, of Yannick Ngokwe and Leonard Fournette before tonight. And it does feel like, certainly, in I, I, I don't, I haven't got the numbers to hand historically, but every year we hear of teams trying to move, you know, blue chip players on the day of the draft for decent picks, and it never seems to go through. You seem to get that close to the draft, and front offices are. Uh, like no we've done all our prep we're ready to go we know what we who we like we're going to let it come to us and we're going to pick someone we like rather than trade away for someone so I'd be astonished if they can do enough to move up to somewhere like three even if it is they are the one team who are getting a reasonable amount of buzz around it yeah, yeah I'm, I'm just, I, I mean the Jags would would be interesting simply because we saw Last time Caldwell drafted a quarterback, it really came from nowhere. Nobody expected they would take Bortles. Now, I don't think they had to move up for him, if I remember rightly. Um, But 
So, so I think for that reason, teams like that interest me who have traditionally in the past been able to keep things under wraps. And I do feel like there might be a team lurking. The, the Raiders, to me, are, are interesting because I, I still don't think that they completely set a quarterback. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think that the, the, the obvious teams in terms of moving up and down the board are that the Falcons, who there's been a lot of buzz about. Um, the Buccaneers are interesting to move up, I think, for one of those tackles. I think the Jets could potentially move into the top 10 for tackles. But I think tackle is the spot where people will, will be moving up for in the main. Um, just because it sounds like the, the big three now are going to come off the board in the top 10 and probably four in the top top 15. So I think that if there is any big movement, it'll be for tackles in the, in, in the first round. How many linemen do you think do go in the first round? Because I've seen the over-under set incredibly high, about six and a half some places. And obviously outside of the, the top three tackles and the guys you've got in behind them, there's, there's also, is it Cesar Ruiz, the guy who did a draft profile on the other day, the, inter- yeah, the yeah. interior guy who's think, the top guy could go first round? I think he'll be the only interior think, guy. Yeah, I think eight or nine potentially could go. I think you look at wow. Mackay Beckton, uh, in no order, Mackay Beckton, Tristan Wirfs, uh, Andrew Thomas, uh, Jedrick Mons of Alabama. And then I think you're looking into that second tier, Josh Jones of Houston potentially. Um, I think Austin Jackson of USC, who seems to be class, and perhaps people think Ezra Cleveland of Boise State, uh, injured last year with a turf toe, but it's re- reported that Cleveland Bounds would really like Ezra Cleveland. That would be eight already. Then Cesar Ruiz, the, the centre at Michigan, I'd be very surprised if he doesn't go in the first round. Um, and then, look, I think you've got to throw in a couple of wild cards. Isaiah Wilson of Georgia, the right tackle played opposite Andrew Thomas. There's a lot of buzz that he could fall into the back end of the first round. And even Lucas Niang, if he's healthy, the, the TCU right tackle. You just go back and look at that Ohio State take. That is teach tape uh, for an offensive uh, line coach to, to watch him take on one-on-one Nick Bowler. Chase Young and then Draymond Jones when they kicked Draymond Jones out. In fact, Nick Bosa got so little reward out of Lucas Nian, they kicked him to the other side so that he could, uh, so that it was Chase Young left to, to, to do it. So, you know, Niang obviously had the uh, the uh, Achilles injury last season, missed the last six games, but he is a very, very good player. And I could see a team, if he passes medicals, I could see a team definitely taking a flyer on him in the back end of the first round because the value there, there are going to be teams looking at, at tackles early in the second round. You know, guys are going to get bumped up a little bit. Matthew Peer of UConn, you know, if Wilson falls out in the first round, there's going to be a few names kicking around. There's going to be a bit of a rush on tackles. So I wouldn't surprise me to see at least eight offensive linemen go in the first round. Would it, I mean, could, because we're looking at so many offensive linemen in the first round, what suffers? Because I think we talked about this quite a bit before in the past, but everyone's incredibly high on this receiver class. But it does feel like you get past those top three, four names, then maybe people might try and wait until the second, third round, and you could see a big old yeah. drop Receiver off and running back, we... I think, Paul. What do you think, Matt? I think receiver and running back. There's, there's so many so classes, and with the running backs, you can throw a blanket over the top five guys, Cam Akers, Ty Davis in there. Swift, Jonathan Taylor, and um, and J.K. Dobbins. So I, I, it wouldn't surprise me to see no running backs go in the first round. Maybe Edward Solaire, uh, and actually not as many receivers as we think, just because you know the second round. And you could see ten, twelve receivers go in the second round. Yeah, I mean, and there's, I mean, you say just the second round as well. I mean, I, there's there's lots of guys below that where where I'm looking at them from a from a New England perspective and think, wow, I wouldn't I wouldn't mind that guy. Um, you know, a good example for me is KJ Hill is a perfect slot receiver, I think, for the Patriots, and he is what going to be a third or fourth round pick, and I think, I think that yeah. to me sums up the 
The depth, the depth is insane. What I think we will see is I think once one wide receiver goes off the board tonight, I think you'll see a run of three or four because I do think there are, to me, Judy, Lamb, Ruggs and Jefferson are the top four and then there is a little bit of a drop down from those guys. But it's only small, so I, so I could see those four going in quite a bunched group and then and then as you say, I could, I mean, and then after that, you could name me 10 receivers and it wouldn't surprise me if any one of them went in the first round. You know, you can see a big rush. Completely of, styles, isn't it? Absolutely, you can see a massive rush. Though. Denzel Mims, Jalen Rabel, uh, Brandon Ayuk, Lavisca Chanel, uh, KJ Hamler. You know, all going just you know, all going off the board just after that, or just either at the back end of that first round or early in the second. Because teams are going to think, you know, if you get into the late, you know, after twenty six, twenty seven, if let's say, if let's say Rugs, Lamb, and Judy have gone. There's going, to be, there's going to be teams in the early second who know that there's going to be an awful lot of posturing for those receivers that are definitely first-round quality but are falling because of the fact that you know the, the draft is so strong elsewhere, cornerback so strong, offensive lineman strong. You know, you could see that you know one or two teams in the early part of round two just kicking up into round one um, to take uh, to take a receiver, and, and you know you don't know what teams like Baltimore are going to do. You know, everybody talks about you know, Kenneth Murray, Patrick Queen. That sort of thing, but you know, get Lamar Jackson help. Same with Aaron Rodgers. You know, how many years has Aaron Rodgers got left? Three, four. Get Aaron Rodgers help. That's Michael Pittman. You know, Pittman's a guy that could go in the first round. Ayuk, Raygor, KJ Hamler. You know, all these guys could. You know, you could definitely see teams just uh, Cincinnati. If you're going to draft Joe Burrow, get Joe Burrow some help. Why? You know, if there's a guy they like, and it might only cost you a fourth round pick, then you know, why wouldn't you do that? My my feeling is, you see, three or four, probably four, go off the board in the teams. And then you start to see a run at the end of the round. Because then, I, I think if you don't see that, the teams at the end of the round, as much as there is depth there, and I understand the reasoning behind that, I think then you've reached the point almost that you were not going with the best player available. Because the, the yeah. I just don't see a scenario where once you sat beyond pick 25, unless there's been a much greater run earlier than anticipated, where you would could look at your draft board in good faith and not have two or three wide receivers as the best players available. Right. And I think at that stage, you you kind of have to pull the trigger and remember it's still first-round picks. On running backs, I, I wouldn't touch a running back in the first round. I, I, I just, Kansas, Kansas City might do it if you're very Yeah, but the very end of the first round, I think, is the only point I, I'll be willing to do it. And I love a lot of the running backs. I mean, I, I absolutely love Edward Soler. I, I really like Jonathan Taylor. I think he needs to go to the right team. Um, you, you, if you draft Jonathan Taylor, you need to accept that he, he becomes the, the person that your offense runs through, I think. Um, but I think because of the miles on the clock, there's a good chance you might get him in, in you know, 10th, 11th pick of the second round. And, which I think is and, and the fumbles. The fumbles are an issue as well. The yeah, yeah. Are yeah well. I mean, the fumbles are a huge issue, actually. I mean, the rate is is troublesome. And that isn't just the rate based on the amount he carries the ball. If you look at it on a per carry basis, the fumbles would be a, a fairly significant concern. And then, I mean, Swift is, is, is a great player. I mean, I think he is the one who I would say is, is almost certainly a first-round talent. But there are just so many guys later on in the draft that, that I do think with running back, there is a little bit of devaluing in the same way that doesn't exist with wide receiver. One other thing I think with as well is that you, what, you, what I think you're going to get is because teams have not been able to go to pro days, because coaches and GMs haven't been able to sidle up to one another and say, you know, this Jefferson kid looks good, this so, so you know, almost that, um, almost 
trying to reinforce their what their own and this happens all the time but trying to reinforce their own feelings and what does that think about this guy you know you, Brian Flores goes to talk to, to Matt Patricia you know they've worked together for so long at New England what do you think about this guy Patricia's like yeah I really like I don't like him what do you, okay yeah and that, that sort of informs a coach's decision because don't forget the coaches really aren't seeing much of these kids until really until they get to the senior bowl uh, especially if they've had a playoff run um, so Whilst they're, they're, they're cramming on film, they're also kind of getting that information from friends. Look, scouts talk, coaches talk, everybody talks to one another. Everybody talks about what's going on. Um, you haven't got that this year. So everybody is just coming at it from a sole singular focus. You know, there is no other reinforcement from anybody else. So what I think you're going to find is players, certainly in that 20s, late 20s, I think you're going to get players that you're not expecting to go in the first round. I think there's going to be three or four real shocks um, of players going, you think, wow, you know, I had a mid-second round grade on this guy, but other teams are just going to look at it because are we going to even get a season this year? And if we are going to get a season, if it's truncated, what you want most of all, you don't want a project. You don't yeah, want somebody who might not. be given three years. You want somebody who's going to be able to come in and contribute because they're not going to have mini camps. They might they might have a very truncated training camp. You're going to, you know, the team that drafts Jeffrey Akuda, the team that drafts Derek Brown, the team that drafts players who are just, you know, have played for a long time at good school, just good college players. This, more than any other year, don't pass good college football players because you're going to need them to contribute this year more than ever because they're not going to get the coaching both on the field and in the, in the, play, in the playground, in the classroom, that you're going to get on, in normal years. So Jonathan Taylor, so Grant Delpit, these kind of players who just, Antoine Winfield, these players have consistently been really good players. The flip side of that is you know, guys like Jeremy Chin would make you nervous. Southern Illinois, Kyle Duggar would make you nervous. Lenoir Ryan, you know, small schools making a massive step up where they've really got to learn an awful lot of stuff. Those things are going to make you very nervous in a truncated NFL season. I think you get, got a good, a good example of that from last year. We were talking about the other day. Uh, we were talking about the Raiders draft from last year and the immediate impact they got from guys that they took from those big programs. And it does feel like more so than ever with the way that the playoffs now work in college football, with the the, the focus on those big schools, I, I do think like more so than ever, GMs and front offices love to think that they're smart and be the one that can take a project. And I'm the coach that's good enough for that. I'm the GM that's going to spot the talent that no one else sees, the diamond in the rough. But realistically... I'm, I'm with, I think you go for guys from successful schools over recent years who have gone to playoffs, who have gone to championships, and you, you know that they've got some consistency. They know how to follow leadership. They've had good coaching, and, and that stuff is all going to be even more key than ever when you're not going to get a chance to coach them for four months before the season like you usually would. I would say also that is why some of the veterans who you mentioned earlier I think will get traded, but I think it will be dependent on how the board falls. For example... If Tampa Bay sat on the clock, and me and Si have just done the mock draft on this and, and discussed it um, for what we're going to put out on Gridiron later, and our, our point was we would love to make trades here because if Tampa Bay sat on, on the clock and all four of the, the main tackles have gone, for me, there is every chance, and I would encourage them to do this, that they will trade for Trent Williams. It just makes too much sense. They've just got Gronk in the building. It's all in around Tom Brady. So that one makes a lot of sense. I think Ngokwe will make sense for teams as the board starts to fall. And then I think there's other guys available. I mean, there's been reports, Will, that the 49ers are looking to offload a couple of big contracts, be it D Ford or Quan Alexander. 
So you know, but depending on how things fall, those guys may be on the table as well. But but I think Trent Williams. I'm 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 certain, and it might even be the Jets. It might be that the Jets get leapfrogged and the top four guys aren't available, and they trade for Trent Williams. You know, the the Browns are desperate for a tackle. There are teams who are absolutely desperate for tackles, and there are not enough of the really top guys to go around. So I I do think. Williams to me is the one who will move I also think Joe Tooney the Patriots are massively against the cap and paying guards about 25 million dollars next year if they keep that Tooney contract I'm convinced that they gave him the tag to trade him I'm sure they will there's a gap for the Patriots in the second round and I think that they would like to think they could get a second round pick for him so I think he might go as well but I do think there are some veteran guys who we might might well see moved out another caveat with the Patriots they might move Shaq Mason and keep Tooney. Um, I, I guess they won't because they've got Mason on a pretty good contract now relative to, to other guards. And, and I would say certainly two years ago, Mason was the best guard in football. So, But I think one of those two guys will be on the move. And there's lots of teams who desperately need interior linemen and, and, and not a huge amount of them in this draft as well. So so we've talked, I, I, I mean... a few players. Let me just say, I just think there's a few players as well that, that are going to go in the first... Like, you look at a guy like Jack Driscoll of Auburn. You know, he's a kind of he's a right tackle. He he very much reminds you of the kid that was a you know Tennessee could take Jack Driscoll in the first round. It would be a shock, but they could take him in the first round. He's very much reminiscent of the guy that they had at right tackle Jack, Jack Conklin, Conklin. Yeah. who just lost, um, who they just lost in free agency. He's a day one starter who could probably play right tackle for ten years. Josh Uche at, at Michigan, I, I think he could easily end up in the front. Terrell Burgess of Utah, another player who I think could, you know, teams might look at and just think this is such a value pick. I think Kenneth Murray of Oklahoma apparently has blown people away with his interviews. Like, I think Kenneth Murray could end up, I and mean, we haven't mocked him in that draft we've just done. I wouldn't be surprised if he was in the top 20. No, me neither. Me neither. I, I just think, I mean, somebody, somebody very, who I respect, I think, Pete, I think it was probably Peter King said that he had been told that Murray's interviews were so good that at least three general managers had told Peter King that he's a future NFL man of the year. I mean, that's how, that's how good he is. Marlon Davidson at Auburn, there's another guy, just a consistently solid 3 4, in, you know, inside outside uh, defensive end slash defensive tackle is a guy that I think could end up going in the first round just because people, He's just going to come in and contribute, be a leader for that team immediately. And I just think some of those guys that you know have a little bit of an ex- Jeff Gladney at TCU, another guy. I just think some of those more inexperienced guys who perhaps in any other year would go higher just won't do so because teams are just a bit nervous about the fact that they don't know when they're going to get their hands on these kids. Yeah, exactly. You know, they, they could just be, they could be doing Zoom conferencing until the start of September. I, mean, I would you be surprised know, imagine not being able to get your hands on the first round. training camp. I mean, I really wouldn't. Yeah. So, yeah, and I, and I do think that's a big consideration, especially for teams who, I mean, certainly for teams who think they're a contender. I mean, you, you're, yeah. looking to, you're looking to get out of this um, with players who you think can, can contribute immediately. I mean, I think that other teams, like, I, I always I, I hate that I always use the Patriots as, as an example, but they are the team I know best. And ultimately, they look at a draft class as as, as non contributors for the next season. Best so player available. Them, it's, it's fine. Best player I mean, available. Yeah, exactly. So that, that more than any other. This more than any other year, I think. Can we still? Uh, I was just reading up on. Um, whether or not this, uh, did you see this thing? Bud Light are going to be raising up to a 
half a million dollars for the NFL draftathon they're doing tonight. For everyone who tweets, boo the commish, up to 500,000 people. So we can still virtually boo Roger Goodell. <laughs> it's more... It's more that I was just wondering whether or not we could rely on his wife to maybe open the, the door to the basement and, and just shower I, boo down for all, for all of us out there wanting to do so. I think what they've done is, they, I think what they're going to do is they're going to have a video screen behind him with 32 different fans live. And when he, when he goes to the podium, they're going to get these 32 fans from the different teams to boo. As he, that, I think that's the plan. That's spectacular. Um, I've got to say that that is one of the things I'm most excited about is to see the little touches that have been put into this. Just to kind of, because it's like, like it's like drawing a, it's like a, a completely blank canvas, isn't it? And they've got the opportunity well, to, I think, and, do and, some interesting stuff. And considering it's the same length of time that the draft is normally, but we're not going to be able to have the salute to the armed forces, and we're not going to be able to have the, you know, the various little extra bits that they throw into the middle as like little things to break up the first round. You know, obviously there's that possibility of trades and the clock getting extended, but there's more time than we need available to us so how are they going to fill that time I'm excited I wish, I wish, I wish they'd let each team's GM announce their own pick as well imagine Belichick it would be oh, this one honestly I was, with, with, with the with the 23rd overall pick uh, the uh, <laughs> that's because he does that so can you imagine how funny that would be I, I he, wouldn't would even, be... He, he wouldn't even say the guy's first name he would just say <laughs> second name he was just so angry or he might even say anybody's name Roberto just by the is... number of college or the number 74 yeah, yeah number, <laughs> exactly 74 Auburn that would be so funny who wouldn't so want funny the Colts to trade back into the first round just to see Jim Ursay take over from the GM inevitably in a messy <laughs> state at that time seat. of night. <laughs> it just, it's, I, I want to see their house. houses. I want to yeah, see their house. I want to see Goodell's house. I want to see it. And I think what this is going to be, actually, I think it might be the best TV experience because hopefully you're going to be able to see so much because of all these cameras in, in everybody's houses. You, know, you don't always have all the cams in all of the teams. This time you're going to see everything John Schneider knocked down two walls two walls in his house in Seattle to make for all the technological stuff they're putting in his house um, another head coach has got the uh, or another GM I think it's Bob Quinn has got the uh, the Detroit GM has got the team's uh, has got the team's uh, like internet guy living in a in a um, an <laughs> RV in his driveway <laughs> And then, I mean, and then David Gettleman's got a laptop and some hand sanitizer in a drive. Yeah, some hand sanitizer. <laughs> amazing. It's amazing. Uh, good, good. Well, super, like, properly excited for tonight. I, I think that the takeaways from this for me is that we're going to see a lot of linemen in the first round. Um, I did just want to ask before we went about the quarterbacks outside of those top three guys who I think most people expect to go in the top five, six picks. Do we think Love goes kind of in and around that range as well? And do a couple of guys sneak into the first round? Jacob Eason, for example? I think Love will, I think Love will end up going about 15, 16, because the team will trade up for him and panic. I think there's some teams lower down looking at him. I'd be stunned if the Saints didn't trade up for him, to be honest. I, 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 they're the kind of team willing to make those moves. I think they, they, they basically acknowledge next year is Drew Brees' last. I think they make a lot of sense. I, I am convinced that Jake Fromm's going to go at the end of the first round. And, and I don't know whether that's just because stylistically he is the type of quarterback I like, but... I have spoken to Jim Nagy on this show and a couple of other people who just say 
from from the mental aspect, from might be as impressive as any quarterback they've ever seen. Um, I think the he fits. I mean, he fits the Patriots perfectly. I wouldn't be surprised if if they trade down and pick him up at the end of the first round. And obviously, the value of getting a quarterback in the first round is the is the fifth year of the contract as well. So that that would be my prediction. I think five will go in round one with From sneaking. In. I think I think Love will definitely go in round one, and look, Love could go. I mean, Love could go at five, Love could go at 12, Love could go at 18, Love could go to the Saints, Love could go to the Patriots, Love could go to the Packers. Um, you know, and I think if there is a fifth quarterback in the first round, I actually think it would be Jalen Hurts. I think, um, I think uh, I could see a scenario where Jalen Hurts went at the back end of the first round um, as a sort of, a, a, you know, a, a, as a quarterback to sit behind um, an aging starter. Potentially, that wouldn't surprise me. I, from in the first round, I, as great as he is as a, as a mental processor, as great as he's a, as a leader, I'm just not. That's a little bit too salty for me. I think, um, although I do like Jake From, I think Jacob Eason probably, again, maybe in an ordinary season, maybe might sneak in. I, I don't see it, but I just think he's too much of a project. To, and I suppose the thing that Matt, and Matt's right. The thing you have to remember about Jake From is look. He beat out Jacob Eason and sent him to Washington, and then he beat out Justin Fields. Who might be the first time next year? It might be the, yeah, exactly. He might be the first over the creek next year. If, you know, if we do have a college football season and he outplays Trevor Lawrence, I mean, that pretty much says all you need to know about Jake Fromm. You know, and you know, he gets the knock that he's a game manager. I think he's significantly more than that, um, and he's probably been undervalued in this process a little bit. Um, so we should see. So it's just fascinating. It's fascinating. Just watching uh, Tua throw a few uh, passes in the in the tape they sent out to teams on my TV right now. Uh, so, yeah, can't wait. Boys, what are you guys going to be doing for tonight? Uh, where can we find? What is Gridiron going to be putting out? What kind of content can we expect from the well, social gonna, channels, etc., Matthew? Me and Sai have just put together a mock draft that we're going to put out um, ahead of the draft, probably about 6, 7 o'clock UK time. Sai's going to be doing some... some uh, preview and, and reaction videos for us as well um, and then we're going to we're going to step on and record another one of these either straight after the first round or at some point tomorrow morning ahead of ahead of day two and then we'll wrap it all up at the end of the weekend so yeah lots of stuff from us we'll be kicking around on social media doing other bits as well so just just follow along with us and me Sai, and we... i think lee and blackburn now are going to be on a house party chat for the entirety of the opening round until Cy cuts it off when two has gone to somebody else. I mean, so just so just just so you know, I will absolutely be on that house party chat, but I'll have my mic muted just so I can see the reactions, even though I'll obviously have be having to do other bits and pieces. I've but... had so many, like Matt said the other day about he, when he broke the news that there were a significant number of people asking for, for the, my reaction. So this is me last night, uh, and I and I messaged back saying I hear you've been looking for it. I've had about four or five people either direct message me on uh, Twitter or send me WhatsApp saying mates and stuff. Going, I don't even like the NFL, but apparently you like this guy, and, uh, and you're not going to end up getting it. So can you at least record what's going to happen when you I've, get uh, it? I, I've, I've, I've like. literally since my, my missus is like. Sharon, change it to a Zoom meeting because if you change it to a Zoom meeting, then you can record it straight off it. The house party uh, doesn't work. I have been offered money by a regular listener of this show. <laughs> That's a <laughs> Charity. It's got to be done for charity. Come on, Simon. Well, yeah, I mean, listen, what I tell you what, 
Um, here's here's an idea then. Why don't we say if people want to um, uh, if people want to donate for us to put the video out, donate the money and we'll give it to the NHS as a uh, as a little um, as a little thank you for their hard work. So if you want that video to go up on social media, to see my reaction when the Dolphins take a left tackle and don't take Tua, then uh, or take Justin Herbert, like, which I, would be I, almost I, worse. I still want the video if they take Tua as well. I still like that's the thing. You I want have it the video. Way. But I'm not putting it out to the whole to the ether unless we're getting money for it that, that we can then give to a good cause. Uh, yeah. Right, I will put I will put fifty quid in towards the NHS to get that video up there as, as a starting Look bid for it. I, I need it to be in my life. I desperately need it. Uh, boys. <laughs> Wonderful stuff from both of you, as always. Can't wait to experience this tonight, even if in silence from my perspective with you guys. It's going to be fascinating to see how it all plays out. And we'll have a reaction podcast for you tomorrow morning as well, plus plenty of great content from Gridiron and at UK Gridiron on Instagram. A reminder that we've partnered with Betfred for the 2020 NFL Draft. They're offering markets for uh, the first player drafted, the Bengals' first pick, highest QB pick, so... That's basically the same market, I think. Uh, but there are lots, lots more on there as well. Terms and conditions apply and be gambleaware.org. Uh, any final thoughts, lads? Yeah, don't forget the Gridiron Weekly. Uh, loads of great stuff in there. And um, yeah. And if people want to subscribe to the monthly well. today, even in print, do it because I, I've, we've opened up the digital archive um, so that you can, well, the full digital library. So. Even if you subscribe in print today, you'll get the draft issue in print eventually, but you can read the draft issue in digital from now on as well. So, yeah, both the weekly and the monthly, well worth a subscription. Perfect. Wonderful stuff, boys. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Enjoy the draft tonight. This has been The Gridiron Show.